Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Well, tonight we're going to wrap up our uh, look at the Holy Spirit. We've been uh, studying the Holy Spirit on Sunday night for a little while, and I want to share with you a story that I heard, uh, I saw on the internet, and it uh, talks about uh, the uh, a fire that occurred in August the 20th and 21st in 1910. Now this has been some time back, and so... Uh, it says that uh, this uh, particular fire raged across three million acres of timberland in north, uh, northern Idaho and western Montana. And it all started when some scattered fires burned in a dry area, was hit by hurricane force winds, and spread the fire. Within six hours, fires became fire storms, and trees by the millions became exploding. Can, Roman candles in the uh, forest there. Millions of trees were sucked up from the ground, roots and all, becoming fly, uh, fly, uh, excuse me, flying blowtorches. The wind-powered fireballs were rolling from ridgetop to ridgetop at 70 miles an hour. Uh, leaping across canyons a half a mile wide in one fluid motion. And entire mountainsides ignited in, uh, in an instant. And no one had ever seen a fire quite like this. It says that uh, the fire burned three million acres, destroying enough timber to fill a freight train 2,400 miles long and killed 86 people. By the time it was finally put out, this massive fire, uh, forest fire had burned 4,700 square miles. That's the size of the state of Connecticut. Uh, this was a huge, massive fire. Uh, that may be the largest fire in America's history, one that lasted uh, 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 just for a brief period of time that did an uh, insurmountable uh, damage uh, throughout uh, uh, that area in Idaho and Montana. And uh, it's... But one of the things that, that amazes me is is that they were able to put it out. You know, it, it's amazing a fire that huge, even in 1910, was able to be quelled. I, I imagine uh, it had to have been aided by rainstorms or something to cause uh, a fire that big to only last two days, other than the fact that it might have just simply burned up all the the fuel that it possibly could and and there wasn't anything left to burn um, but uh, uh, one of the things that that is amazing is is that it was put out at all but I, I think from uh, from our understanding of a great fire uh, it's said that a fire greater than this is put out every Sunday uh, on, throughout the church's uh, in the world. 
there's a lot of places, a lot of churches where the Spirit of God is just simply quelled and the fire of, of God is just uh, destroyed. Our scripture this morning is found, uh, this evening is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse number 19. It says, Quench not the Spirit of God. And I think uh, as proud a heritage as we have as, as churches that exist to this day, uh, beginning uh, a couple of thousand years ago uh, after uh, the life of Christ and after Jesus arose uh, uh, from this uh, uh, earth to, to be at the right hand of the Father, I think uh, there have been those who have tried and tried their best to quell the fires of the Spirit of God. And uh, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's uh, writing in this first book that he shares, and he uh, shares with them different things that they need to do. Uh, as he's coming to the end of his letter, he uh, shares with them some kind of uh, general advice in terms of, of how to comport themselves, how to, how to live as a Christian, how to uh, uh, he 's trying to help them to, to understand what it means to be a Christian and, and he tells them, uh, but the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that are right unto you. This is uh, at the beginning of chapter five. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, has so cometh as a thief in the night. And so what Paul is, is trying to do is he's trying to give them advice because he feels as though the, the end of times is coming. He says uh, Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment. You know, I find it amazing that, that Paul felt as though Jesus would return within his own lifetime. And here we are some 2,000 years later and we're still uh, waiting upon the Lord. And if... Paul felt as though uh, Jesus' return was so imminent during his day. How much more imminent must his return be in our day? And, but Paul is, is saying, look, uh, the end of times is coming. You need to, to get your lives ready. You need to be ready to serve God and do everything you can in order to reach out to those who are lost, to do everything you can to, to promote the kingdom of God because time is short. And he says, uh, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden uh, destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman uh, with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of day, and we are not the, of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Paul said, uh, we need to, to be about actively serving God and, and be about sharing the gospel with others because the time is so short. He says it's like uh, waiting on your wife as she is preparing to have a child. And, and he said uh, her labor pains will come in the middle of the night when you're not expecting. Uh, and so will the return of Christ. It will come and we won't be expecting it. We won't know that it's coming. We just know it's, in, uh, you know, uh, when you have a pregnant wife, you know the time is coming. You just don't know when the time is going to come. You, you know that, uh, that that baby's going to be born before long, 
but you, you don't know the exact day, the exact moment. And, and Paul says it's the same way with the return of Christ. He says uh, it, Jesus could come back at any moment, at any time. It'll happen when you least expect it. We are not the people of darkness. We are children of the light. We don't need to live as though we're uh, uh, in darkness, but live as, as, as we are in the light. And we do not sleep or slumber like others. Well... I think we've gone, uh, gotten a, a pretty slumber, a pretty sleepy over the years. Uh, we've allowed ourselves to to get lulled into a sense of of not a, uh, not expecting the return of Christ anymore. I, I think uh, one of the main problems with the church is is that we uh, we have people that say, "Oh, yeah, let the Lord come, but don't." Don't come in my lifetime. I want to live a long life. I want to do things. Uh, we need to live expectantly, hoping that Christ will return, expecting it at any moment, uh, praying that it would come today, that Christ will return and that we would be taken into His embrace and, and uh, go and be in His presence. He says uh, that we do not sleep like others. Let's not uh, be somber, but rather let us go out and share the gospel. He says, therefore let us not sleep. Verse 6, as do others, let us uh, watch and be sober. Uh, let's consistently watch for the return of the Lord. He says, for they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, a hope of salvation. Uh, he hearkens to uh, this imagery of, of uh, being decked out in armor like he did in, in the book of Ephesians. And he's telling the, the, the people in uh, Thessalonica that we too need to have a breastplate, a breastplate of righteousness, a, a helmet of hope, to have uh, faith uh, uh, within us that we will be ready at any moment. And... Uh, he says, uh, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also, as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Paul says not only do we need to be fervently ready and be uh, prepared at a moment for the return of Christ, he says you need to be like a soldier with uh, your armor on and ready to go out into battle and to serve God and to go out and to proclaim the message of, of salvation to others. But he says you need to be aware of those who are uh, admonishing you, those who are teaching you, those who are edifying you, those who are trying to lift you up. You need to uh, 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 encourage them. You need to uh, support them and you need to uh, do everything to esteem and to love them uh, and to be at peace amongst yourselves. As we wait, we don't need to uh, to get cagey. We don't need to uh, start uh, backbiting and start uh, uh, infighting. He says you need to work together, love those who are there to help you and to encourage you. Uh, do all you can to encourage them in the work that they're doing. And so often we get to be a little touchy about things when we 
talk about the things that we could do to to uh, to improve our our walk with Christ. Uh, sometimes we we tend to get this attitude. Well. Uh, I don't know why we're talking about this. We don't need to hear this. Uh, there's nobody here that's got that problem. And all along we're struggling with something else that could equally apply. We need to, instead of, of looking at ourselves as though we're without sin or without any blame or without any uh, problems, and, and allow uh, the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to, to expose the things that we need to, to work on and, and encourage those who are trying to help us to grow closer to Christ. And, and Paul says you need to esteem those who are, are doing just that and to help encourage them. Why? Because they're the ones that are helping to uh, prepare you to serve God. Um, uh, let's see. Now, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, uh, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient towards all men. Uh, this is a, a, a whole plan of how we should live. He says, first of all, you need to warn those who are unruly. The first step in how we should uh, live towards helping one another and encouraging one another is first to, to admonish those who are, are still not uh, mature in the faith, those who are unruly. He says, you need to warn them about uh, the pathway that they're on. Uh, this could also uh, be those who are without Christ to warn those who are unruly and don't have uh, uh, the faith in Jesus Christ to help people to come to know and understand how they should live, how they should walk. Uh, our first and foremost uh, 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 Desire within our heart should be to to help those who are without Christ to come to know uh, Jesus Christ and to help them to come and know Him. Then it says that we are to uh, also not only help those who are 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 unruly, warn them, but to comfort the feeble-minded. We're to comfort those who are young in the faith. Feeble-minded uh, is it necessarily uh, a, uh, a you know. Uh, uh, a labeling of people that are, are without uh, the sense to know better, but uh, it's really uh, what it's talking about are those who are young and weak in the faith. You don't call... Um, uh, I mean, if we were to go out here to the horse farm uh, that's down the road here where they give uh, riding lessons, we were to see a, 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 a horse uh, give birth to a young colt. And I, I've never done that. I've never witnessed it. I've seen it on uh, in movies and things like that. But you see uh, this young colt that uh, sometimes has to be yanked out of its mother. Uh, and usually uh, the colt, when it comes out, now that colt doesn't come out running and jumping over uh, steeples uh, or anything like that. It comes out and it is what you would call feeble, right? It's wobbly and it's not coordinated yet. And But within a very short period of time, what happens? It gets its feet underneath it, right? And it begins to be a little stronger and, and has some strength about it. And within a very short period of time, that, that young colt is, is walking around without a problem and running around too. And before long, that young colt has grown and has a great strength and power. And within a very short uh, span of a year or so, that colt is is uh, strong enough to support a man, right? And uh, 
that's what he's, Paul's talking about here. There are those who are young in the faith, who are like that young colt that are still feeble and unable to, uh, to get along on their own. They need encouragement. They need uh, to be strengthened. They need to be uh, nourished uh, in the Spirit. And they need to grow in the faith. And he says, comfort the feeble-minded and support the weak. Be patient towards all men. Uh, we, not only do we need to be aware of those who are without faith and those who are young in the faith, but we need to be patient towards all as we all are struggling to grow. There's not a one of us that couldn't grow more. I, I, one of the problems that I've had as a pastor over uh, nearly 25 years of pastoring has been dealing with church members that think they know it all. They think that they've been a Christian so long that they, well, I, I've studied just about everything you can uh, think of. And I've had some in, in some of my churches almost come out blatantly say, well, I, I've heard it all, preacher. You can, I don't think there's anything you could teach me. And I, as a pastor, and I've studied at seminary. I've been in uh, college and, and studied religion in college and a Baptist college and, and all of that. I still learn stuff every day. When we come to a point where we feel as though we can't learn anything more, then we're in some trouble. Because And if we don't have someone that we can go to and learn from, in our own life, we need to seek out someone that can uh, that can uh, teach us either it's on the internet or in a book or or uh, uh, some other way. Maybe going off and, and uh, taking a seminar or something like that. Uh, we always need to continue to grow. And Paul said we need to be patient towards all men. We all are still growing. We're all still maturing in Christ. And until we come into the presence of Jesus Christ, there's not a one of us that's perfect. There's not a one of us that has everything the way it should be. There's not one of us that's infallible. There's not a one of us that doesn't sin from day to day. And so we need to be patient with each other. We need to encourage one another and not tear each other apart, not tear each other down. And those are good words for a church that seeks to be on fire for the Lord and seeks to serve God and to, uh, and to, to reach out to those who are lost. Uh, verse 15 says, See that none rend evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to, uh, to all men. Paul says, look, don't, when someone is bad towards you, don't, don't give them back bad to them. That's the, that's the most human response that we've got is whenever someone is bad towards us, we want to sit there and do something just as mean and ugly to them. Uh, uh, you, you, you want to get back at them because they were ugly to you. And it might be that you feel like they were ugly to you for no reason. And so you, you sit there and you say, well, they, that's not nice for them to be ugly to me. I want to be ugly. You know, uh, it's like uh, driving down the road and you see a little kid in the back of the station wagon going, Meh, and you want to just go Meh, back at them. And, and uh, it's just human nature. But Paul says, uh, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he says, when people are evil to you, you need to do good. Do good towards others. You need to encourage one another to help them to, to see uh, Jesus Christ in you. He says, don't give evil for evil, but give for good for good. He says, make sure that you 
uh, follow that which is good both among yourselves and all men. There's something that just doesn't seem right when we are the ugliest to those we love the most. And you know, you do it in your own family too. Uh, it seems like whenever you have company over, it seems so easy to, to put out the spread and make sure that you're cordial and inviting to them and want to do everything you can. Are you comfortable? You want me to change the temperature do, you know, on the thermostat? You need the fan on? Uh, uh, can I get you something to drink? Are you hungry? Are you? And, and, uh, but let somebody in your own family say, well, hey, you know, I'm a little hungry. You know, go in there and fix your own sandwich, you know, or, or find something to eat your own self. You got two hands and two feet. Uh, we don't, uh, you Kids complain about being too hot. Well, just sit still and 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 you'll get you'll cool off. It's not too uh, hot in here. <coughs> and don't you go uh, touching that thermostat. We're ugliest to the ones that we love the most, and I I don't understand that. The Holy Spirit understands that, and and Paul encourages us: make sure that you're nice to those who are amongst your fellow, uh, uh, amongst your church, amongst your fellowship. Not just don't be just nice to those who are outside, but but be encouraging, be nice, be supportive to those who are amongst you. Uh, one of the things that that quells the a spirit of 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 uh, fighting and backbiting the most is when somebody is is mean and ugly to you and you just be as nice as you can be to them. And Paul says, he encourages us, make sure that you're nice towards one another. You're brothers and sisters of Christ. You need to, uh, to do that which is good amongst yourselves and to those who are outside. He says in verse 16, rejoice every more, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. These, la- uh, these three sentences before our focal verse are so encouraging. Rejoice evermore. Give thanks in all things. Pray without ceasing. Boy, we could, we could really keep a lot of bad things from happening within our fellowship if we just did that. If we, in everything that we did, simply thank God for what He's done. Rejoice evermore. Does it say rejoice just about the good things? So say just rejoice about the answered prayers. He says rejoice evermore. Well, it's awful hard to rejoice about a family member that's sick or someone who's gone on to be with the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice about just the good things. It says rejoice evermore. Joy is not necessarily the ability to be happy when things are good. Joy is the ability to be satisfied even when things are bad, when things are not going right. When we rejoice, 
We're to rejoice in every circumstance. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice about the the accomplishments that the Holy Spirit has done in your life and rejoice about the challenges that He has brought before you. Because guess what? You wouldn't have those challenges if you hadn't already increased and grown in Christ. Those challenges wouldn't be before you if, if you hadn't already grown in the faith to where the Spirit of God desired to help you to grow even further. And even if you're just starting out in faith, those challenges are there to help you to grow. God doesn't want us to be stagnant. And rejoicing about challenges is rejoicing about God loving us enough to to give us those opportunities to grow in the faith. Remember, there's not a one of us that could uh, take one step and walk anywhere if we hadn't been challenged as a child, an infant, a toddler, to get up off the floor, stop crawling, and start walking. And we all face the challenge of learning to walk without stumbling. And yes, we fell a few times. And yes, we uh, faltered and maybe ran into some things that, that caused us to get hurt. But we picked ourselves up each and every time and we, because we desired to continue to walk. And we ought to do the very same thing in our Christian walk. Rejoice at the challenges. Rejoice at, at those hardships that are before us because they force us to grow and to have faith. He says, not only rejoice evermore, but pray without ceasing. Oh, it's so easy to pray when we're about to run into somebody or to have an accident or when something's bad going on, but we tend to forget to pray about those uh, needs in our life or about things in our life when things go going good. We're, we're quick to raise our hand. Oh, I've got a prayer request. I've got this need. Somebody help, help me pray for this need. God, help me out with this. But we tend to fail to, to thank God and to pray when things are going good. We need to pray without ceasing. Pray in the good times. Pray in, in, in the difficult times. Pray when things are challenging. Pray in all circumstances, even when nothing's going on in our life. Spend time with God. Pray without ceasing. One of the greatest joys that I had was uh, when I learned to simply... Uh, you know, you don't have to have a special occasion to spend time alone with God. You don't have to have a prayer meeting. You don't have to have a, a called time together with other people. You don't have to have a, a special need. You just simply spend time with God. Just pray. To pray about every little thing that comes to your mind. Because it's significant to God. It's important to God. And Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. To and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks to God. Praise Him for all the things that you're going through. And then he says, Don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit of God. When we... When I first start, uh, started tonight talking about a fire, if you were to quench a fire, say we had a bonfire going on back here in a, a nice big ring, 
uh, uh, back here in the back I had a fire pit and we were about to leave and and the deacon said well we need to put this out we need to quench it before we leave we don't want it to get out of hand and and continue to burn there's not going to be anybody here uh, we would douse it with water right we'd covered over with dirt and sand to try and put it out. We would do everything we can to, to stop the fire from burning because we wanted to be safe and want to be uh, safe when we leave for the fire not to be burning. But it says, quench not the Spirit. It's the same kind of attitude. Uh, don't douse the Spirit in your life. Don't put out what God is trying to do. The natural tendency for a fire is to burn. It burns until the fuel's gone, and then it's going to burn those embers until they're gone, and when those embers are gone, then it'll finally go out. That's the natural course of a fire. I've been around enough campfires to, to know that's uh, what happens and he, he, you know we'd go camping and, and we'd have this fire that would be nice and, and big during the night after we'd cooked all, all of our meals and uh, we'd uh, stoke the fire up and we'd sit around it and tell stories or we'd uh, do some silly things around the fire and sometimes we'd just sit and drink hot chocolate and, and talk until the wee hours of the morning and then we'd go to sleep uh, the next morning we'd get up and want to cook our breakfast. And a lot of times you didn't have to build a whole new fire. You just simply uh, put a little bit of kindling on the top and start blowing over the coals. And, and even uh, when the fire's been out for a long time, it would quickly catch fire again. And you could uh, then put more wood on it and have you a nice blaze to, to create some hot coals to cook your meal again. The natural thing is for the Spirit of God to burn within us, to, to, to burn and to cause us to have a desire to, to share the gospel with others. And one of the main responsibilities, as I've said throughout this study of the Holy Spirit, is, is the, uh, the task of the Holy Spirit is to convict the, those who are lost, convict the, the lost and to, and to draw them to Jesus Christ, draw them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and, and hopefully to salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's uh, the, one of the primary things the Holy Spirit does within our lives. And then once we're saved, He continues to convict us and to continue to, to convict us when we uh, are living our Christian walk so that we'll stay away from sin, that we'll uh, repent of those sins in our life so that we can grow closer to God and have a close walk with Jesus Christ. And as we are close with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us as we seek to serve Him. And, and uh, as we seek to go out and share the gospel, we become an instrument of the Holy Spirit to convict, uh, to, uh, that God's Holy Spirit uses to, to convict people of their sinful ways and to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it, but He uses us in order to, uh, to accomplish those tasks from time to time. And He uses us as a... I mean, it, uh, uh, listen, uh, my bowl doesn't uh, serve me breakfast, but I use my bowl to eat breakfast when I eat a bowl of cereal in the morning. Uh, that bowl by itself isn't 
uh, a nourishing breakfast, but when I use that bowl to hold cereal and milk, it, it is useful in feeding me breakfast. We don't save people, but God's Spirit can use us and use us to, to help bring someone to an understanding of Jesus Christ and, and their need for Jesus Christ in their life. And to quench the Holy Spirit is to... Is to, is to not be useful for the Spirit of God in our life, to not be useful at leading people to Jesus Christ or, uh, for that matter, to uh, lead someone away from Jesus Christ, to lead someone uh, uh, to have a, a, a sour opinion of, of Christians or a, a, a bad opinion of Jesus Christ or, or God and their relationship to God or to cause people to not uh, uh, understand that they need saving in Jesus Christ. And we can quench the Spirit of God when we just simply don't uh, go and, and allow the Spirit to use us to, to, teach, uh, to lead someone to know Jesus Christ in our life. And so we need to be a, a body of believers that not only encourage one another and are useful towards one another in our daily walk and growing closer to Christ, but be useful to the Spirit of God to lead others to know Jesus Christ. Paul says, in these last days, don't quench the Spirit. Despite not prophesying, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless, unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The last task of the Holy Spirit is to, is to seal us into the day of Christ's return. God can use us to help preserve each other by encouraging one another, by edifying one another, by helping one another. Talking about horses, I've never uh, uh, owned a horse. But if I was to get a wild hair and decide to get a horse, it would do me good to talk to somebody that's owned a horse before to know what you're supposed to do. You don't uh, just simply put the horse out in the backyard and expect the horse to survive. You've got to understand how to care for a horse. What better way to do that than to learn from somebody who's cared for a horse for many years before? and learn from them how they took care of their horse in order to take care of your horse. As a Christian, uh, you would do well to learn from those who've come before us. We talked about mentoring this morning during Sunday school, and that's a perfect uh, thing that, that we need to be mentors towards others that are coming behind us, and we need to allow others that are ahead of us in, in, our, in their maturity with Christ to mentor to us. And that's part of the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit within us to, to help uh, keep those who are uh, within our, the body of Christ and preserve them for the day of, of His coming. Faithful is He that calleth you and also will do it. Brethren, pray for us and greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord and this epistle be read unto you, uh, unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.
And amen. So, uh, this letter to the church at Thessalonica is a, is a letter of instruction on how they should live in the end times and what better instruction than we can have at growing closer to Jesus Christ in the things that we do and the, in the ways in which we are to live and to be sure that in all the things that we do that we quench not the Spirit of God but allow His, the Holy Spirit to work, live and work in and through us. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise You for uh, Your presence in our life and we praise You for uh, the work that You do in and through us. Lord, we pray that You'd help us to, uh, to walk in Christ, to live according to Your desire and will. Lord, help us to, uh, to encourage one another to be the type of Christians that help one another rather than tear each other down. Lord, that we be a body of believers that grow strong in the faith with each uh, gathering together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.